Today's scripture reading is from Acts sixteen eleven through 15. <clears throat> Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. The New Testament book, The Acts of the Apostles, is the beginning history of the church established on the first Pentecost following the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Within its pages, as we begin to read that historical account, we learn that the church grew, how it grew during the first century, and we learn by the means which it grew. Now Luke, who wrote the book, was a missionary partner with Paul. And he wrote that letter to a man named Theophilus. Theophilus was uh, a person to whom Luke wrote. We don't know much about Theophilus. We know he was regarded as, oh, excellent Theophilus. But the purpose was continuing his former uh, correspondence regarding uh, the life of Christ. He wanted to continue the, the letter that he wrote that we know of as the gospel according to Luke. And from there he began to give him the history of the church, its establishment, the way in which God added members to its number, and the requirements that he placed upon its believers. As we begin to look into the book of Acts, we find that there are 11 accounts of conversion. Now listed in those accounts, we have individuals and their households. We have some who are listed as areas where men and women were converted. Now in those 11 accounts, we do not have not one account where each step of conversion or uh, each step of the plan of salvation is listed in each account. And what I mean by that is, in those 11 accounts, not every single one of those mentions that the gospel was preached, for instance. Now obviously we understand that the gospel was preached. Now in 10 of those accounts, it states that the gospel was preached. Now obviously in number 11, it's alluded to. Obviously, the gospel had to be preached. We understand that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10 11. So the gospel had to be preached, but it is alluded to the fact that the gospel was preached in number 11. Only in six of those accounts is believing mentioned. But I don't think any of us would disagree that believing is a requirement for salvation. 
Only in three cases is repentance mentioned. But I think that we can also be in agreement of the necessity of repentance of all past sins and dedicating one's life to Jesus. I think we agree with that. Only one time is confession specifically mentioned. But the acknowledgement of faith is supplied by supplemental texts in other books of the New Testament. While baptism is mentioned, not all the other requirements are. Therefore, we must understand all requirements are therefore demanded as requirements if it is demanded of one person or one group. It is demanded by all people and all groups. I think that is easily understood. And when we're talking about the Christian age, and that's what we're talking about, when we turn over to Acts chapter 2, and we begin to read that sermon that Paul and the other apostles preached, and we have Paul's, or excuse me, uh, Peter, and we have Peter's sermon preached or recorded for us, And we begin with verse 14 of Acts chapter 2. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye uh, suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, that's nine o'clock in the morning, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he began to repeat that prophecy, Joel prophesied of the establishment of the church in Joel chapter 2, just like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 2, just like Daniel did in Daniel chapter 2, and it came to fruition in Acts chapter 2. And then he goes on to say that And he talks of of Jesus having ascended back to heaven. And then he says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And he gave that superb sermon on how to become a Christian. And then they asked that question, What do we do? Verse 37, And he explained to them, He gave a part of that plan of salvation. But the key thing here is uh, when he made that statement with many other words, did he say unto them, well, what were those many other words? Well, it was other parts of the plan of salvation, no doubt about it. You have to confess. You have to believe, right? There's a lot more to it than just repentance and baptism. Verse 38, but that's part of it, right? But among those listed accounts of conversion, we read about a lady named Lydia. And Paul met that lady on his second missionary campaign when he came with his companions and they arrived in the Macedonian city of Philippi. Now some Jewish ladies had convened at the river to pray. And they worshipped God, or that was their idea to do that. And one of those ladies was Lydia. Now it's not mentioned... But no one can deny her acknowledgement of faith and repentance of past sins. 
when we get through to the end of this account. That's not mentioned, but we know it was there. I want us to look into this a little deeper. The title of the sermon this morning is Attending Unto the Things Which Are Spoken, and I think she is a perfect example of that being done. Lydia demonstrated how one goes from misunderstanding what God expects to understanding and fulfilling what God expects. She thought she was doing the right things. She had convened to worship God. She was trying to do that. But she wasn't doing it the proper way. And so Paul taught her the truth and she responded properly to the message of the gospel and she became a New Testament Christian. Now there are some amazing truths about Lydia presented to the Bible student. I think they're helpful. She was a sincere religious woman, and I want us to begin with one of the most needed characteristics absent in the world today, and that is that Lydia held herself accountable. That's our first point. She held herself accountable. Now, how do we know that? Well, we know that because first she listened to what Paul had to say. She had a desire to follow God correctly. That's something that we all need. We need to be able to listen and follow God. We need to, in fact, listen to God, don't we? And that's what she did. In fact, I think Lydia was in a very similar situation as Cornelius of Acts chapters 10 and 11. Cornelius was a fine, upstanding individual, had a great reputation among the Jews, and he was a Gentile. That was unheard of. And like Lydia, he believed in God and he worshipped God as a Jew. Now he was described as a devout man. The Lydia and Lydia is described as a worshipper of God. Now both had evidently proselytized or were strangers in the gate, either one, to the Jewish religion and they wanted to worship the true God of heaven. I think that's very important. And I think when we look at the word used to describe Cornelius, I think it's going to help us understand Lydia's situation just a little better. Let's look at that. Cornelius was devout, Acts chapter 10, verse 2. But that's not the same word Luke used to describe those men in chapter 2 of Acts. Notice what he said. He said, Acts chapter 2, verse 5, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men out of every nation under heaven. That word is ulibes. That means that those men were carefully and surely, extremely careful and cautious not to ever offend God. That was their mission. And we see that because they journeyed hundreds of miles to come to that Passover feast, to worship God. They wanted to do what they knew to be correct. They were extremely cautious. They never wanted to offend God. Now, he described Cornelius with the word usabes, which means pious and dutiful, but without proper knowledge. Now, that's a huge difference, isn't it? He didn't have proper knowledge. Now... Paul described the Jews as zealous toward God but without knowledge, Romans 10, verse 2. So like Cornelius, Lydia worshipped God 
within a system that God had ended. That system was no longer in effect. So she's trying to worship God as a Jew, but you couldn't do that. The Jewish system had been uh, ended years before that at the cross. Now the Christian system had been put into effect. And so she's trying to worship under a defunct system. But she was pious. She was dutiful. She wanted to do that which was right, but she was not doing it according to proper knowledge. And so what was she in need of? She was in need of the gospel system of faith. Gospel of Christ. So as Paul sat with her and those with her, she listened to what Paul had to say. That's the first thing. She held herself accountable and she listened. But her example is this. She not only listened, she wanted to live what she heard. That's very important. So being a religious woman, she wanted to please God. And when she learned that she had not been serving God properly, she wanted to change those things. That is a big deal. She wanted to change her life. I think too many people in the world today like the idea of serving God properly, but they do not like the idea of changing anything about their lives. Change has to happen. Change has to happen. They don't want to change lifestyles. They don't want to change belief systems. They don't want to take the appropriate action that God requires. There has to be action. We look in Act, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered a more perfect sacrifice. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham left Ur. By faith, Sarah went with Abraham. Right? By faith, the judges did multiple things. By faith, they did this, they did that. You see, that is a working faith. That means change. That means action. Faith is a working faith. It does something. It's not mental ascent. It's not just a mental ascent. We have to have mental ascent, but that leads to something. Obedience, right? It has to be an obedient faith. And that's why Lydia is an example to all people. She changed what she was doing because she learned the truth. And we have to have an open mind to learning the truth of what God expects. Now, we have to understand what the open mind means. It can't be an open mind just because someone says it. It has to be an open mind followed by truth that we can see and we can read and we can point to and we can say, okay, that's what God says. Not just because some person says it, right? There's some very important aspects of her conversion that we need to understand. Notice what Luke recorded. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Now what is intended by that passage, Acts 16, verse 14? That has been misused and, and misapplied. Now there is a doctrine taught that goes all the way back hundreds of years, which John Calvin popularized, known as total hereditary depravity. That means you're born totally depraved and you inherited that all the way back from Adam. That means you cannot do anything good, period. You don't have it in you. And I think it is crucial for us to understand the, under, uh, the meaning of that, that humanity is spiritually dead, blind, and deaf. 
Therefore, all people are completely unable to do anything good, period. That means a person is unable, cannot, does not have it within them to be able to do one thing and cannot believe in God even if he wanted to believe in God. Now, according to that view, an influence of the Holy Spirit apart from the Word of God is required for one to be able to accept Him and uh, and has to be made to do that. Now, in giving an explanation of that belief, here's what Charles Hodge had to say. Renowned Presbyterian scholar, using this analogy, he said, The truth is compared to light, which is absolutely necessary to vision. But if the eye be closed or blind, it must be opened or restored before the light can produce its proper impression. And he cited the case of Lydia in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, as biblical proof of some kind of a direct operation of the Holy Spirit in conversion. Now, I want us to consider some truths found in the passage. Let's notice this. Lydia did not evidence the character of one who was totally depraved. Let's notice that. Totally depraved means cannot do one thing that's good, period. When we go back and we look over history and we see a person who cannot do one thing correct or one thing right, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone that was unable to do that. People are born with a sense of awe. Now, they can destroy that over time when they continually reject God, but they're born with a sense of awe, knowing the difference between right and wrong. People understand from an early age that uh, you can't go next door and kill your neighbor unless they have some kind of a mental handicap, right? Unless you, and, and that happens. Unless you have some kind of a mental handicap, some kind of schizophrenia or or something like that. A, a normal person understands that it's not right to go next door and kill your neighbor. We're born with a sense of ought. We get that. Where does that come from? Well, God gave that to us. Now, we have to train that properly. We know that is our conscience, right? We have to train our conscience properly. It can be trained un- uh, improperly. But we have to have a sense of awe. Now now notice uh, Lydia. Lydia is described as one who worshipped God. Now in the Greek text, that form is a present tense middle voice participle. That means that she had a worshipful disposition. That was a habitual characteristic of Lydia. That doesn't sound like someone who's totally depraved. That was her lifestyle, right? She likely had become a proselyte to, a, to a, a religion that wasn't God's religion at that time any longer. So she wasn't following God's law, but she wanted to. So that's not someone who is depraved. And so she met on the Sabbath day, on a Saturday. Yeah, she's also described uh, a description of her goodness, though not having been exposed to the gospel at that time. So that's not someone who's depraved. This, the text speaks of her heart. Right? Speaks of her heart. Now that term is clearly used figuratively. And the Bible frequently speaks of the human heart in the sense of, of intellect. With the heart man perceives, John twelve forty. With the heart man thinks, Hebrews four twelve, Matthew nine four, Matthew thirteen fifteen, with the heart man understands, and, and on and on. So what we have here is 
is the suggestion of uh, her heart being opened, her intellect being opened. And that's simply a way of saying that a person begins to understand through teaching, right? You begin to understand something. You study uh, a math book if you're in school and your mind becomes open toward that. That doesn't mean that you have some kind of a miraculous onset toward that, right? So I think it is equivalent to Paul's expression found in Ephesians 1.18. The eyes of your understanding are enlightened or being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. So the eyes of your understanding... Right? My understanding is enlightened. How, do, how does that happen? Well, I read something, or I see something, or I'm told something. Right? My understanding. So the important question is, how did God open this noble lady's heart? Well, we're told right in the passage, aren't we? Paul taught her. Paul taught her. And so, the notion that it was happened by some kind of a miraculous event through the Holy Spirit, can't be founded in this passage. So let me ask this question. And I've asked this often to a lot of folks. And let's ask ourselves this. Let's think back over time and think about anything you know about God, the Holy Spirit, or Jesus that you learned outside of the Bible. Can't think of anything, can you? I can't. Let's be honest with ourselves. What have we ever learned that we learned about God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, or the church that we learned outside of the written Word of God? It's not there. And so, in response to that assertion, consider some key facts. First, there are scores of biblical examples which demonstrate God as a general rule working through means uh, that are not direct, right? He did it throughout the, the history. That's not to say the Bible is full of, of, of miracles. If miracles happened up toward the end of the first century, but we read about Naaman being converted to Judaism, Second Kings verse five or chapter five. But who converted him to Judaism? Elisha. Elisha converted him to Judaism. God is the source of our daily needs, Matthew chapter 6, verse 11. But we either work for them or someone else supplies them to us. Right? God's not going to give them directly to us. Let's ask anybody that works for a living, right? Now, God will bless our efforts. I believe that for sure. But if we're not working, we're not getting paid. And, or, or someone is supplying our needs. And so we need to understand that. Neither is a miracle. Paul believed and taught that now many he who supplies seed to the sower, 2 Corinthians 9.10, and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. God created the seeds, but someone had to sow them. Right? That's what happens. God gave the ability to produce food from agricultural sources, but someone had to... Sow the seed and tend the product. God will give the increase. We don't cause the seed to grow, but we have to put it in the ground. We have to tend the seed. Second, the New Testament repeatedly 
affirms the gospel is the power of God into salvation, Romans 1.16. Without the gospel, there's no salvation. The written word of God is able to affect the salvation of the soul, James 1.21. That's how Lydia was saved. She attended unto those things which were spoken. That's how she was saved. Accordingly, it is by the preaching of the gospel message that people are saved. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2. He said that in Ephesians 5, 26. Notice that it is by the gospel that Jesus Christ calls the sinner. We are called by His gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2, 14. Not a whisper in the night. We're called by His gospel. Third, the very context of Acts 16, 14 indicates it was by the power of the Word Lydia's heart was opened. The power of the Word. Let's not take the power away from God's gospel. Let's not, let's not neuter the gospel of Christ Jesus. First, Luke said she heard us. The tense of the verb means, means that she was riveted to the instruction of Paul and those who were with Paul. She was fixated on every word which was spoken. She wanted to know how to be saved. That's the exact opposite of the, of the, uh, the error of total hereditary depravity, which uh, affirms one cannot give honest attention to anything God says until the Lord first opens the heart miraculously. She kept on listening, and because of that, her heart or her understanding was open to God. That's how that happens. Uh, second, the design was that she might give heed unto the things which Paul, which were spoken by Paul. The word heed here indicates an obedience to the preaching of Paul, not a direct operation in some miraculous way. Now, a similar statement is found in Acts chapter 8. When the Samaritans gave heed to the preaching of Philip, Acts 8 verse 6, and the result was the same found here in Acts chapter 16. We can go back to Acts chapter 2. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Because of the preaching of Peter and the other apostles. And Peter gave the answer. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Finally, it would be important to ask, if one cannot respond to the gospel unto the Lord until a supernatural influence happens, what about when that doesn't happen? Do we blame God for that? He would be responsible. That doctrine reflects upon the justice of the Creator. I don't think that's fair. And in fact, it's false. So Lydia attended unto the things which were spoken and she held herself accountable because she listened and she wanted to live what she heard. Now I want us to notice some observations of her acceptance. That's our final point. Religious people need to be saved. They need to be saved. Not all people who are religious are saved. Lydia is an example. Saul of Tarsus was an example. He was a very religious person. He was a Jew, but he was a terrorist. He was a murderer. He needed to be saved. He was on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 8. And... Uh, Acts chapter 9, he went in, uh, he, he, uh, the Lord appeared to him and he said, go into the city and there it will be told you what you need to do to be saved. He prayed for three days and fasted. Prayer is not going to get it done. 
Because he prayed for three days. He showed his penance. He repented. He, he uh, prayed and fasted. He wept. And then Ananias came in and taught him the gospel. We see Lydia in Acts chapter 16 praying on the, on the, river, on the bank of the river. Praying is not going to save a person. So she had to hear the gospel. She had to obey that gospel. The thousands of devout Jews on Pentecost were taught the true gospel of Christ. And about 3,000 were added to the church after having obeyed it, Acts 2.41. The Ethiopian eunuch was a very religious person. And at the same time, he was very lost until Philip joined him in his chariot. And he asked him, he said, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I unless some man help me? I think beginning in Acts chapter uh, uh, 8, around verse 26. And then uh, he taught him about Jesus, Acts 35. And he started at that same scripture in Isaiah 53. And he taught him about Jesus. So whatever he taught him about Jesus out of Isaiah 53, it included him confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And again, this is one of those examples of not every step of salvation is included. But we have to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. We know he taught him the gospel because he taught him Jesus. Right? So that's part of it. Because that's where the power to salvation is, the gospel. He had to have taught him about repentance because he was, un, he was involved in the wrong religion. He was practicing the Jewish religion. So he had to repent of his past sins. That had to have been taught because that's what Peter taught in, on the day of Pentecost. That's what Peter taught, recorded for us in Acts chapter 3. So you know he, had, he taught him repentance. He had to have repented. You know he confessed because that's recorded for us in verse 37. Because as they went along, he stopped the chariot and he asked Philip, after he taught him about Jesus, he said, Here is water, what doth hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, Thou mayest, if thou believest. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He, and so they, stop, they stopped the chariot, they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and Philip baptized him. Well, what was the purpose of that? Well, Peter said on the day of Pentecost it was for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of sin. Peter said in 2 Peter 3.21, the like figure, the same example, and he was talking about how the water lifted up the ark and saved those people in the ark. The like figure wherein to baptism doth also now save us, not to putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a clear conscience toward God. So it saves us. Not, not baptism alone, but you have to have faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water for the forgiveness of sin, Acts 2.38. It saves us. It adds us to the Lord's body, Galatians 3.26 and 27, or it puts us into Christ, rather, Romans 6.3 and 4. Adds us to the church, Acts 2.42 and verse 47. And so that's what it does for us. And so in the case of Lydia... All the examples of conversion in the book of Acts demonstrates an immediate response to the gospel. There's always an immediate response. Now, not all, not all people obeyed the gospel, but there was always an immediate response. Either they weren't interested or they obeyed the gospel. They didn't have to say, well, I'm going to think about it for a little while and then not do it. They either said they weren't interested or they said, I understand. Because it's pretty, pretty clear, isn't it? It's pretty simple. That's one reason it is so important to preach 
and teach the gospel. People are lost. The gospel needs to be preached. It is so important. In George Beasley Murray's book, Baptism in the New Testament, he wrote regarding Peter's sermon on Pentecost. He said, Baptism is here as a part of the proclamation of Christ. In an apostolic sermon, it comes as its logical conclusion. An effort ought to be made to restore this note in our preaching. Now here is the kicker about Mr. Murray. He doesn't even think baptism is necessary for salvation. <laughs> but he thinks it ought to be restored because it's in the book. <laughs> I agree with him on that. I don't agree with his theology. It's in the book. And it is necessary for salvation. He was right. Notice what happened on Pentecost. Acts 2 verse 41, Then those who gladly received His word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's what Lydia did. That's what Lydia did. Why did she do that? Because she attended unto the things which were spoken. That's the same logical conclusion to which she came to. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized. Because they were listening too. They heeded unto those same things. After obeying the gospel, she and her friends urged Paul to stay for a period of time, and he did. And we see that joy and that enthusiasm. No doubt those days were filled with questions. and, and Because that's just the beginning, isn't it? Being added to the Lord's church, that's just the beginning. And they wanted to be able to abound in the work of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. They wanted to overflow and learn, and have that knowledge. And No one can deny that she was a very religious woman from the very beginning, but she was, she was wrong in her theology and her religion. And Paul taught her a better way, just like Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos in Acts 19. He was wrong, and they took him aside, and they taught him the way of the Lord more perfectly. And he became a New Testament Christian. She went to the banks of the river to pray to God, but she could not pray her way to salvation. She couldn't do it. She couldn't, there, she couldn't get there simply by being a good person. Neither could Cornelius in Acts chapters 10 and 11. She couldn't get there by being a religiously minded woman. And neither can we. Those are just a few ways in which Lydia attended unto the things which are spoken. And if we follow her example... Hey, we'll see her in heaven one day. And that's our goal, to get to heaven, to live eternally. Surround the throne of God, singing praises day and night. That's what John recorded in the Revelation. I don't know exactly how that's going to unfold. We're given terms and descriptions of heaven in earthly, earthly words, the best we can understand it, but that doesn't even come close. If you're here today and you've never obeyed the gospel, we talked about how to do that. Faith and repentance, confession, immersion in water. But we have to have faithful living. One is not more important than the other, but they're all just as important as the other. If you've done those things, you've become unfaithful. We have the second law of pardon that James talks about, John talks about, confessing our sins one to another, publicly if necessary, not always. Uh, privately, if that's how we can do it, going to God in prayer, asking Him to forgive us as we repent and confess our faults to Him. Uh, either way, if you need to answer the Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.